It's time for the Fantasy Points Podcast, brought to you by FantasyPoints.com. Top-level fantasy football and NFL betting analysis from every perspective and angle, from numbers to the film room, with a single goal to help you score more fantasy points. Welcome into another episode of the Take Talk Podcast. I am your host, Brett Whitefield, with my usual co-host, Stephen O'Rourke, and today is Guest Friday, and we have another splendid guest prepared for you today. Please welcome to the show, Ray GQ, my man. I'm very excited to have you. So for the listeners involved that don't know Ray well, I'm sure there's not many of you, but if there are... um, I absolutely love Ray. My favorite thing about Ray, and the reason he's on the show, is because he's one of the only guys in the fantasy space that watches a ton of film and understands it at a high level. It's a huge value add to the fantasy community, and his skill set is tremendous, and I couldn't be happier to have him on the show. Ray, what's up? Appreciate you, man. Thank you for having me on. Um, You know, we met uh, uh, officially in person during the senior bowl in February, man. And just getting a chance to chop it up with you about football, man. Super knowledgeable. You know, your stuff more than I'd say 99.9% of the people in the space. So just to chop it up with you in person about ball was good. And I appreciate you having me on the show today, man. Awesome. So guest Friday, we've been mixing it up every Friday with a new guest, kind of jumping into new topics. I know one of your, you know, sweet spots in the space, it, Ray, is is Dynasty and Devi. With that said, I would like to ask you about this season so far. One of the things I love about you too, man, is like you and I can, we'll have like disagreements about players, but like even when we disagree, your your reasons are always well-founded. And I might be like, oh, I don't see it that way, but like I respect right. it. But with that said, is there any guys this season that you've, that have actually changed your mind about their outlook, yeah. especially in the dynasty. Yeah, man. Uh, somebody from the 2022 class that I wasn't super high on personally coming out as a prospect. I thought he was okay. thought he was the third, fourth best receiver on his team last year in college football. But Chris Olave is really, you know, whether it's his utilization, how they're, how they're incorporating him in the offense. I didn't think he would be this effective this quickly in his NFL career. I didn't think that they would – give them 13, 14 targets, um, you know, considering they have Kamara and Michael Thomas. And I know there have been injuries uh, across the board offensively for the Saints, but just his ability. One of the things that I think I may have underrated and I need to look at my process is even though I didn't think he had the upside as some of the other receivers in the class, one thing you couldn't deny about Olave when you watch the tape is the fact that he was a technician, that he was savvy, he was a veteran, He knew how to get open. He knew how to find soft spots and zones. And he's doing that right now in the NFL. And he's done that so far this season. So for me, uh, you know, Brett, you and I had a lot of conversations about Traylon Burks the whole time, long before most people caught on. And I think it's one of the things that moving forward, I definitely want to incorporate a little bit more. Like if this player is thrust into a situation where he's forced to be fed the ball as the one or the two, do they have the skill set to do that? And even though I still believe Traylon Burks has a lot of, if, if I just look at his natural, my personal opinion, right? His natural talent and ability. I think he's got some tools and traits that if developed, he could be a good player moving forward, but there's no doubt 
that Olave, looking back on it, was the more pro-ready wide receiver of those guys. So uh, Olave has definitely exceeded my expectations so far this season, and I'm encouraged by what they do with him moving forward. And you look at him, and you're like, man, can this dude really be a one for the team? But they're utilizing him like that. So who am I to yep. say no when that's how they're using him? For sure. Ray, we had a lot of talks about Olave, and I was right there with you, man. Like, I was thinking he was the third, maybe the fourth best, fifth best guy on the team. Now looking at Marvin Harrison Jr. there, and I did not expect this outburst. I think I had a late second round grade on Olave. Did not see him as this, you know, the Saints traded up to get him at, a, what, 11? I did not see that type of player, and he's he's changed my mind as well. That's a great call. I kind of knew you were going to say that, too. I, I anticipated that one, so... Steve and I have sung Olave's praises so far. Um, yeah. He has definitely exceeded expectations, but he's also thriving with what they're giving him. Um, it's it's pretty hard for a rookie to come in and, and be that guy, um, especially when I, I felt like his skill set was somewhat limited. I, I had concerns about his like competitive you know, f- toughness and physicality. and Yeah. Um, but, man, he's he's thriving. I mean, he's, he's leg- a legit deep threat already, and – you know, say the worst case scenario happens. Like I do feel like he's established himself to where that's going to be a role he has for a really long time um, with upside, obviously. If you watch the tape too, Brett, one of the things that I've noticed that he's doing well early, I call it the early Hollywood Brown, Deshaun Jackson sort of receptions. He catches it and he gets down. Like he's not, (laughs) he's not putting his body in harm's way to get beat up. He's not, you don't really see him lowering his, lowering his shoulder to run over defenders. He's, he's finding the spots. He's catching it. Uh, you, you go back to that Minnesota game. I think it was quarters coverage and there were three defenders around him and he goes up and it was like a 20 something yard catch, you know, to extend that drive. And soon as he got it, he got down so quick that Harrison Smith and the other safety run into each other and damn yep. near hurt themselves. So it's, he's been, he's savvy. He's a technician. He's a pro ready type wide receiver. So shout out to Chris Olave hats off to him. He's playing damn good ball for sure. And, and- building on that like reviewing my process so one of my complaints with him was like in college he forced one missed tackle last season when guys on his team Garrett Wilson and and Jackson Smith and Jigba these guys were like over 20 in in similar usage patterns and but to your point maybe this is just a self-preservation thing he does where he's you know he's aware of the situation he's got three guys bearing down on him he's not going to try to you know force force a you know a big yards after catch situation and Maybe that will serve him well in the long run. Um, I definitely knocked him for it, though, early on. But I think that technician stamp you've given him is is true for sure. And that's where it's valuable to and, – and I think it's a trait that doesn't often get talked about. But with a receiver and a, a guy who's not necessarily as big as everyone else, the value in being able to make yourself a small target and never really take on that big hit, it's something that like someone like Devonta Smith is very good at. Like they're – quick twitch and they take their chances when they know they have it, but oftentimes they're able to contort their body, move their body in a way that prevents them from taking those big hits. And that's why, that's why sometimes guys like that last longer in the league is because they're, they are so good at that self-preservation. And while sometimes there are, there are situations where you look at it and you're like, the guy could have picked up five, 10 yards of yak, but you know, that's also why he's going to last three, four years longer and you're not going to see him injured a ton is because he can just move his body in ways that a lot of guys can't. For sure. 
For sure. Uh, your point on Traylon Burks too, Ray, like, obviously I was, I've been obnoxiously low on Burks. It's more of a bit at this point than anything, you know, <laughs> um, it's, it makes for good fun content on the pod and whatnot, but that was another guy I didn't, didn't quite see the hype on. I had like a, a second round grade on him as well. Um, I, I do think there's value to when you're looking at these college receivers to checking out their production profile, like how did they produce the way they did? Um, and that was my biggest issue with Burks is like his production profile was just a little fraudulent. Of course, he f- had flashes on tape that were awesome. You know, you, you you would see that, but the consistency of it, I didn't I didn't like. But it seems like Tennessee is going to use him the same way when he's healthy. So while I may have been low, lower on the player, man, like maybe he is a guy you might you might want to buy low on in Dynasty. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I th- I was encouraged, man. It's I- I'll say this. A, it it feels it felt like to me, and if you just go back to the draft and look at how that played out, it didn't seem like Vrabel really signed off on A.J. Brown being dealt. And listen, I'd rather have A.J. Brown a million out of a million times over Traylon Burks. So For sure. if you're the coach and you find out, damn, I, I, I lose an alpha wide receiver and now I'm forced to pick – and maybe we don't know where Burks was on their board. Maybe he was fifth or, you know, and they're just like, you know, there's no Alave. London's gone. Wilson's gone. J-Mo's gone. We got to take Burks. It just, it felt like Vrabel really didn't want him there. I, I, I can't, I have no inside information. That's just what it felt like. But I'll say this. If you go back and just look at him through the preseason and, and to Traylon Burks's point, one of the things that I appreciated about him is, he came out and said he wasn't prepared for the combine. He also said that he wasn't prepared for minicamp and he had to lose weight. He, there was a whole five minute interview where he said, you know, I wasn't mm-hmm. in the best shape that I needed to be in, but he got it together. He came back into training camp. He looked good. We saw the speed during preseason. I mean, there were a couple of times where we got the ball and you're like, dude, that dude can move when he has the ball. He gets in early with Tennessee. They're trying to incorporate him into the offense. He's going to be utilized, right? How much is that worth? I'm not sure, but I think I saw I've seen enough early on to say he's going to be a part of this offense. It's a low volume pass offense and there aren't a ton of weapons around them. I think he is a buy low. My only fear is I think Tennessee will draft a receiver next year. I think they're going to try to find another guy. Robert Woods is getting older. I don't know if Traylon, I don't know if he's a one. He might be a guy that develops into a guy that you can put him out there in a one role for a season or two like like Jarvis Landry he was Miami's one for a couple of years but no one mm-hmm. in the NFL viewed him as the same caliber of a of receiver as the Julio Joneses and the in right. the Mike Evans of the world right right uh, I think not a middle gonna, mover right I think he I think he's going to be a solid player is he going to be an elite difference making alpha type wide receiver I don't I I don't think so I don't think so which is exactly why I didn't like him in the first round because I didn't think he would give a team that that ability. But day two, I'm perfectly fine with what he does. One of the things that to to give Tennessee some credit too, what we've seen is like a, a lot of what Burks did in in college was like, hey, let's get the man the ball in space and let and let the, let him work. They've been really creative. I know he hasn't played a ton of snaps and very limited sample size, but they've been very creative with how they get him the ball running him underneath the formation, running those shallow drags with him with three verts to one side. So he has tons of space to work with, and he's gotten first downs in all of those situations. Like, he'll get the ball, he'll make a guy miss, get a first down. 
Um, so credit to like my pet peeve with teams is when they draft a player and then they don't use them the way they, you know, with their skill set, <laughs> they should be used. So it's, it's credit to Tennessee and that they're, they're using Burks the correct way when he's You're out talking there. talking about Drake London, right? A contested catch guy that can go down the field and he's only got three deep targets on the season. I don't get it. And I know Marcus Mariota's bad, but why not just give him an opportunity? Just throw it up. I don't care. Right. Like, there, there's no reason London shouldn't have two deep targets a game. I Like literally just I, I'm, I'm jumping all around here, but you look at Hendon Hooker at Tennessee, right? Whenever he identifies single coverage and he sees the safety shading to one side, he's just going to throw it deep every time. Every Jeff time. Texas and Hendon to Hooker, one-on-one coverage, safety shading to the opposite direction. He's going to give his receiver a chance. London is 6'5", dude. He's 6'5". And for everything that people said he couldn't do, which they said he couldn't separate, which was a terrible narrative in the first place, <laughs> um, everything that people 100% agreed that he's a jump ball guy, he's a contested catch yep. guy, yet Atlanta doesn't give him any opportunity to do that. And I'm just like, why? They run – Brett, I'm telling you all, Stephen and Brett, <laughs> first 10 plays of the game, they're going to run a tunnel screen or a smoke screen to Drake London every game. And I'm just yep. like, why, dude? Like, why are we keep – why are we continuing to do this with this cat? I don't – I'm with you, man. I, I don't know why coaches do this stuff. Ray, like 80% of London's targets so far have been either those smoke screens you're talking about, the tunnel, or Mariota comes up to the line and, you know, sees off coverage and he'll like audible to some type of quick game and throw him a slant on the backside. That's it. That's like the only way they're getting London the ball. And this is, yeah, he can do those things, but like, can, can we please get the man the ball downfield? Like, look at Winston and Olave we already mentioned. Like, come on. I mean, Olave is like top 10 in yards per target right now. Like right. He's, he's getting like over nine yards per target. Drake London, the deepest routes they throw to him are like a shake or an out route. Like they'll run 15 yard shake or out route. And yep. like, and guess what? He wins every time. But that's the thing. Like it goes to the same thing with like Traylon Burks, like Tennessee drafted him. We knew what his skill set was. And they, they like they utilize it. They at least utilize him in that hole. They're putting a, a square a square peg in a square hole. <laughs> yeah. But with like but with Drake London, it's like when you have a guy who's as good as he is and is, you know, big and can separate as good as he is, like why are we not why are we not trying to scheme these why are we not trying to scheme like these deep balls to him to give him a chance to like make a play? Because we know he can make a play. Yeah, for sure. And he's separating a guys against guys like Marshawn Lattimore, like, and that's a guy oh, who's he, top of the league. Like, why are we not putting him up against these guys who are clearly lesser than Marshawn Lattimore and like let him go make a play? London destroyed Lattimore in yes, that game. Did. Absolutely destroyed him. That that was like eye opening to me. I was like, oh snap, London is ready to go. Right. Like immediately but, yeah. after that game, if you like if you're Atlanta and how, how you don't come away from like, okay, we have someone who's like a Mike Evans archetype type player. Right. Like let, here we go. Let's just like funnel him the ball as much as possible. You're seeing it with Kyle Pitts too, right? Like they're, they're not getting him the ball either. So is this a Marcus Mariota problem or an Arthur Smith problem, Ray? What do you think? looks like Mariota because even despite all of what we're saying about how they're utilizing him, he is third in the league in target share. I mean, he's he's getting he's commanding 33 30% of the targets, right? right. He's, I think he's fourth in target rate, so when he's running around, like he and Pitts I believe are both top 5 positionally in target share. 
it's just the it's how they're utilizing them, right? It's screens and five yard outs and and hook routes and curl routes, and they're not they're not. My my thing is just give these dudes a chance, man. Like there's no reason why. If if I'm a quarterback and I see him one on one backside corner, I'm just gonna say I'm throwing it to you. Like hot, hot, hot. I'm throwing it up. I'm giving you a chance to make a play. I think it is Marcus Mariota, dude. They, he threw a pick a couple of weeks ago and they ran the ball 14 straight times versus Cleveland. They didn't even <laughs> yeah. want him to throw the ball. I think he's. I think Atlanta has thrown the ball sub 95 times on the seat. Like I, I'm just. They, they just don't even want to throw. It's like Chicago, right? They just don't even want Fields to throw the damn ball. So at, at least. At least Arthur Smith and him are throwing to the right guy. It's just not the right type of route. And I just, it's, it's, uh, you sit back and you're like, man, I see this. Do they not see it? Like, why, right. why is it not happening, man? Same. I mean, especially because Arthur Smith had a good amount of success with A.J. Brown in, in creating an offense that fit him well. So why can't they do the same for London and Pitts? It, it actually blows my mind. Um, before we let you go though, Ray, we still got you for about 15 minutes or so. I, you brought up Hendon Hooker. I've been wanting to pick your brain on Hendon Hooker for a while because this dude is blowing my freaking mind. I had, uh, you know, Joe Marino, our mutual pal on the show a few weeks ago, and we talked in depth about the QB class, but we talked about CJ Stroud and Bryce Young and Will Levis and Anthony Richardson and the usual suspects. We didn't get to Hendon Hooker, um, so, man, I know you've tweeted about him. Lay it out there for me, man, because this guy's impressing me. What are you seeing with Hendon Hooker? So, Kyle Krabs and I, we broke him down on the film session yesterday. I think that has dropped today or tomorrow. Oh, snap. I, I think, okay, a couple of things. He's very efficient, right? I think he's like, he's not top in the NCAA. I don't really, the raw stats in, in college, I mean. The, the yeah. leading passer is probably somebody that I've never played in the NFL. So, uh, but you look at his QBR, which is third in the in NCAA right now, doing it in the SEC. He's an older prospect. That's going to be the big knock on him. He'll be a 25 year old rookie. You watch him and you see all the natural talent, man, the arm talent, the arm strength, the mobility. He seems to have a command of that offense. The issue is it is this Josh Heupel offense. And Kyle pointed it out to me yesterday He's not doing anything at the line. I mean, they're telling him where to throw. This mm-hmm. is what it is. You could just see him. He looks at the sideline. They get the call. He goes up there, makes sure their offensive line has the, the cadence, and they just go. Right. The, I, I think these next four games will be the deciding factor if Hendon Hooker is going to be a first-round pick or not. They've got Georgia, Kentucky, and Alabama, three of their next four <laughs> games. And then they've got a – They've got a, a, a cakewalk in there. So three of the next four games, he's going to face off against Levis. He's got UGA, and he's got Bama this weekend. If he can come out of these th- next four weeks where we walk away and say, oh, man, they, they almost beat Georgia. Like, he almost led them to beat Bama, or they did get a win, or he outplayed Will Levis. I think that combined with the fact that he's going to get a senior bowl invite, he's probably going to be the guy that, you know – the, the kind of prized get at the quarterback position because it won't be Stroud, Young, Levis. None of those guys will be out. None of those guys will be there. Mm-hmm. He could, you could see the Mac Jones type ascension for him. Like pro ready. You can bring him in. You look across the, what what's crazy y'all is we're talking about the NFL. You're supposed to be the best players on the earth. And I look across the 32 teams and I see maybe like 10 difference makers at quarterback. 
and then just a bunch of guys, right? Yeah. And there are, I mean, we saw it last night. I know people <laughs> don't want to, and I'm sure we might talk about them, but would it shock you if Chicago's drafting high and they're like, look, man, we didn't draft this Fields guy. Like, I, you know, Stroud's right here, Young. Like, it wouldn't shock me. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but yeah. you you look across the board, and I think you can throw Hendon Hooker in there at Washington, and he might give you a little more than what Wentz has done. So I, I, I think right now, realistically, Brett, I think he's probably like a second-round pick. But these next four weeks are going to be huge for him. And then the pre-draft process, I think he's going to crush interviews. I think teams are going to like him. It's just, can they buy into a 25-year-old quarterback? And can he actually read a defense? And there's some things I saw on tape where I'm like, all right, I, I can kind of see you want a little more growth and maturation there. But he's got, he's got three massive games in order to make his case. Absolutely. I, I love the take about the upcoming schedule, too, because that is really going to be the indicator for him. I I kind of when I listen to this guy talk and I see him in interviews, man, he has that Jalen Hurts swagger to me where it's like this dude just had he gets it. He gets light. His perspective on life is great. He just seems like such a good dude. You, you hear the way his coach talks about him. You're like, this guy is like he's a guy you want in your locker room, too. I don't care that he's 25 years old personally. He's a quarterback. That, this, that doesn't. If he was like you know a wide receiver, that's one thing. We're not, you know. But man, I I just I really like this kid. When I look at this, you know, class that's supposed to be excellent and Stroud, I think they all have flaws. Will Levis has actually played pretty bad this year, and I'm not convinced he doesn't need a senior year. Um, you know, so Dude, there's definitely to- Brett. I mean, for like, <laughs> yeah, man, yeah, man. it's this. <sighs> I don't think Anthony Richardson is going to declare, first of all. I don't think he, he should. Either. He, he should not. He is not. I think we were way out over our skis after week one versus even me. I'm like, oh, yeah. dude, this dude's number one pick in the draft after beating <laughs> Utah, right? right? He's not ready, man. They don't want him to throw the ball. They don't want right. him to throw it, man. Yeah. He's not ready. Young will have questions because of his size. He just is. Absolutely. Stroud's going to have questions because he has – a million hours to throw the ball. He just sits back there. Like he just and, sits back there. And, and he has dissect. yeah, an insane say, wide receiving, wide receiving core. <laughs> yeah. and, and one of the things that I don't like to do when I'm scouting is scouting the helmet. Right. But it's right. hard mm-hmm. not to look at Ohio state and be like, <laughs> none of those cats have panned out. Right. None of those cats. And that's, and I don't, I'm trying to learn the balance between like factoring that in and saying, dude, that's all baloney evaluate the player but i'm looking at these core i'm with you levis i've been saying it all year i get the tools and traits and we love him at the draft network but he's actually hasn't looked as good to me this year than he and i and i get it o-line is bad receivers are young can you are you taking him top five if you're a franchise i can't do it right now man the copy gets thrown to is josh allen obviously but like Josh Allen, people have to realize he's not the the rule. He's the exception to the rule, and yeah. he was the seventh overall, and he was probably more polished than Levis is right now. Yeah. I have major concerns if you're going to tell me Levis is a top five pick. And that's where people need to realize that when we're saying that he's like Josh Allen, it's Josh Allen when he was a prospect, not Josh right. Allen what he is now. Exactly. Gonna, like that's those are two completely different players, and. Yeah two completely different outcomes for sure. Yeah. I, I, if Will Levis has said he's coming back for his senior year, I think 
then he could get himself in the number one overall conversation because if he develops, you know, obviously if he's going to be a lock first round pick, he's not, he's not returning to school. He's going to, he's going to come out, but um, I'm sure he'll get that feedback from somebody in the NFL. And how'd you feel about your lions picking him up with one of those later first, like good offensive line, good weapons, wouldn't need to start right away. Could sit behind golf for a year. How would you feel? How would you feel about it? I I would love it. Yeah. Because, because golf is there, they have him under contract. And he's coming into a stable environment. Good offensive weapons, good offensive line, good running game too. So like the pressure would be off in all facets, and it would give Levis a time to to really work and develop. Yeah, so I, I I would feel good about that. Probably, man. If that first pick they have turns into a top five pick, though, that that scares me a little bit. I, I maybe with the Rams pick, where you know it might be like late teens or early twenties or something like that. Right. If they if they turn things around, it could get in the twenties, but. Right now, the Rams look pretty dead on arrival. So, yeah, um, yeah, I do. You mentioned uh, helmet scouting, though, and we just watched a Thursday night football game last night. You know, between the Bears and the Commanders, I did want to talk to you about Justin Fields because everything I've seen from you know the last year and this year just it it reeks bad. And I know there's a lot of blame to be put on the Bears for what's going on there, but Fields isn't doing himself any favors, right? What, what do you got for me on Fields? I mean, what more do you want me to say? I mean, (laughs) we're all rooting for Justin Fields. I I don't think there's a soul out there that wants him. Like, I can't stand that dude. I want him to fail. I don't think there's a soul out there that wants that. But at some point, there's got to be some accountability on him as well. And you look at the stats. I mean, when he's hold, we know the line is bad and we know. And I also want to talk. People talk about how bad his weapons are. It's not the worst receiving room in, in the league. Like, it's not great. But there are mm-hmm. the, you look at what Daniel Jones has in New York, and you tell me, you'd re- would you rather have Cole Komet and Darnell Mooney opposed to David Sills starting at <laughs> wide receiver for you, which is insane. But he's holding the ball for 3.35 seconds. Like, you know your line is bad. Getsy, the off – like, get the ball out of his hands quickly and fields for, for – I never bought into the narrative that he was the last in, first out guy. But one of the concerns on fields coming out of Ohio State was he held the ball too long. He took a lot of unnecessary sacks, and he's doing the same thing in Chicago. I, I, I defer to you, Brett, because I've seen more QBs get ruined than developed, and I'm just mm-hmm. I'm I'm starting to look at okay. Last year there wasn't a, a bunch outside of the one throw to Pettis for the touchdown, which a beautiful throw stood in the pocket, yeah, absolute dime. I've seen I've seen Mac Jones make that throw. I've seen I've seen every quarterback. I've seen Daniel Jones drop dimes here and there. It's yep. the consistency, right? When I was on with Kyle yesterday, he told me one thing: don't grade and judge and evaluate a quarterback for what they do uh, outside the twenties. Look at what they do inside the twenties. When they get in the mm. money zones, red zone, twenty yep. yards, and defenses are condensed down, you got to make quick decisions. You got to know where to go. You got to throw the ball with velocity. What do they do when they get inside those money situations? And I'm concerned, man. I'm concerned because I don't think they're a player away. Like, they're not one yeah. offensive lineman away. And everyone's like, oh, they got $130 million in cap space next year. Who wants to go there? Who, right. who wants to go there? Maybe you get a Tyreek Hill that says, I just want my money, and I'm going and I'm gonna go to Chicago, and I don't care. Unfortunately, Chicago doesn't have the tax, the, the tax situation well, to be able to and, pull and, in players like that. And then I'm seeing people mock like J- Jackson Smith and Jigba to him. I don't know how much he helps. Like that does, he doesn't help at all. Yeah, right. I, I, I don't know how much he helps. Right, <laughs> Keishawn Boutte. This is this is bad. 
It's bad. Mm -hmm. He didn't look good. He's an excellent runner. If that's what you want to do, then they need to build the offense and just say, Fields, you're going to run the ball 15 times a game. And for fantasy, that's great. But you know what it reminds me of? Mitch Trubisky scored his fantasy points for three years, and when they figured out he couldn't throw the ball, they shipped him off. That's what it feels like. I watched every one of his dropbacks from last night twice this morning um, as we were doing our charting. And the one takeaway I had that was super consistent through the whole game is like he doesn't trust anybody, including himself, on that team. He. It, when he, you know, when he drops back, he's yeah, he's holding the ball too long. He's also not doing his offensive line any favors. Like he's dropping, he's drifting to 11, 12, 13 yards deep. Like, dude, your tackles are getting smoked no matter what. I don't care how good they are; they're getting smoked when you're 13 yards behind the line of scrimmage. Right. Um, same. He, he there was a few plays where he had it was like a third and three. He's got a guy running a drag route. Fields isn't trusting his arm to get him the ball. He's he's wide open past the first down marker. He he has really poor manipulation in the pocket. Pocket awareness is, is bad. He doesn't know how to step up or slide or hitch. He's not doing any of the small things. He can occasionally make one of those crazy throws. You're like, wow, that was beautiful. He had another one um, you didn't mention. I think it was end of the second quarter yesterday where he is under pressure and Darnell Mooney's running like a 15-yard out route. And yeah. Fields gets absolutely smoked when he makes a throw, but he throws it before Mooney breaks, and it is on the money. Just an absolute dime. Yeah, he, he hits Moody in stride. He's able to get a few yards after catch. So you, the tools are there. It's just he's not trusting what he's seeing. Uh, defenses have figured out too that like if all it takes to to really kind of slow his processing down is you just rotate a safety. Yep. So show him middle of the field closed. Rotate one up. Now you've got open looks and two high safeties, or you ro- rotate one down, and it's called. We've talked about it on this podcast that messes with Mahomes and Allen. It's going to mess with Justin Fields, who doesn't trust anybody even worse. That's why his time to throw is getting up into the you know three and a half seconds. It's you know he's 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 getting pressured because of himself and because of his offensive line being right. poor. It's it's a it's a both and situation. Isn't it, isn't it telling when we're all watching the game? And I don't care who you are, you probably were doing the same thing last night. When he completes a pass, you're like, oh man, he got one. Like he completes, yeah. you're literally like. <laughs> Oh man, a 17 yard pickup. Allen does that. You don't even bat an eye. You're like, oh, dude, that's it. 12 yard pickup for you on that completion, Allen. Like, right. I need 32 more of those so we can win. You, 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 literally, I'm watching the game with some buddies last night. And when he completed a pass, like, so, like you're just like, oh man, he, like, man, he got one. Like, yes, he yeah. Got like, you get excited. Yeah, you're excited. Like, man, he completed. That's, that's not what you want from a top 15 pick. And, uh, Looking back on that 2021 quarterback class, man, it's going to be interesting to reevaluate that in a couple of years because, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Generational, it, is. it was not. <laughs> yeah, let's. We got to stop buying into the the hype like that because, man, you, you like the Mahomes Watson class. Those guys were picked at ten and twelve. That was not considered a good class. This class is generational, and it's possible all five of those guys stink. Yeah, it it is what it is, you know. (laughs) Uh, Ray, did you see the tweet I made about Fields this morning? No, what what was it? I'm trying to avoid the field slander. I feel so. It feels feels just mean at this point. 
<laughs> yeah, I didn't put any spin on it, but I did say there's been 81 NFL games have been played so far this season. 139 times a quarterback has completed 16 passes or more in a game. 38 different QBs have done this. Justin Fields, who has started six of those games, is not one of them. That's sad, dude. I feel so bad for the guy. I just retweeted that. I just hit a retweet on that one. Let's see, let's see who you can piss off with that one. All right, there we go. And the, the I, didn't, thing- I didn't associate blame, though, so I, I washed my hands of it. <laughs> and the thing with Fields is is that his – like obviously we all know his ability to like get out of structure is – part of what makes him good is he is quick and he can get out. If he needs to get out of the pocket, he can. But even when he does, I looked, I watched all of his dropbacks last night as well. And there, there was only one scramble and it was the one where he ended up like toward the end of the game where he set him up to potentially score to go win the game. But every other time his eyes were not downfield. The minute he's out of the pocket, that ball is not even in a position to where he can throw it. It's tucked and he's gone, which like that's a vi- that's very concerning to me because that that means that that's a habit that's starting to form, and that's a habit that's hard to break because you, it's hard to completely get a guy to go from not trusting anyone to now getting to the point where he's trusting people when he's outside of the pocket, and now he's trying he's having to like almost relearn those skills out, out of throwing outside of the pocket because he hasn't like, he doesn't do it anymore. That's, yep. that's the part that concerns me as far as like development going forward is you're starting to see some concerning trends and traits that are starting to develop that could, I mean, could tank him. Yep. And Ray, I know you'll agree with this too. Is like when, when you're evaluating a quarterback and he has the skill set fields has, you're attracted to it because of the extra plays it buys you when you break the pocket and your ability to get the ball downfield because you're letting that coverage break down. Um, if you're not going to do that, though, it really limits what your ceiling is, you know. Uh, and that's it. Really, it's a it's a tragic story because Fields has literally all the physical tools you could ask for. Yep. Yep. So. And it's just again, sometimes you see more quarterbacks broken than developed, and. Um... I hope that's not the case, but honestly, what more is going to change for, from now to the end of the season? This is their offense. Yeah. It's been this all is, summer. <laughs> this, this is, is it. it. People, people think that they're just going to take a – I don't think people understand how – how do I say this? I don't want to say how little NFL teams practice, but, like, this offense was installed. Summer, right. OTAs, mini camps, training. They're not about to flip the thing in the middle of the season with three days of practice – in between weeks like yeah they've got a bye week and they can move some things around and i think chicago's bye week is week 14 <laughs> so yeah i mean what, what what's going to change between now and then not much yeah. micro adjustments is pretty much all they got left so well that's awesome man uh i know we wouldn't didn't want to keep you past the 30 minute mark we did go past but we're gonna we're gonna get you out of here ray i really appreciate you coming on the show dude i have one final question for you ray What's up? Real, real quick, tell What's everyone, up? tell everyone why there's no quarterback controversy in Dallas. Come on, man! Just, <laughs> just, like, are just people really saying this what, stuff. Man? I feel like there are, and I just at this point, I just need someone who knows what they're talking about to just put it in plain words. <laughs> Stop! What are we doing? No, there's no quarterback controversy in Dallas. I'll, 
I'll give Cooper Rush's props, right? And this is why I think having a competent backup is important in the NFL because your quarterback's going to get banged up at some point. There's 150-some-odd million reasons why Dak's going to continue to be the starter. He's the better quarterback. I, I don't I don't know why this is even a debate by most people. Cooper Rush has done an admirable job of keeping the team afloat. And I'd say Micah Parsons in the defense is really what's keeping the team afloat because they're playing like one of the best defenses in the NFL. Stop. Stop with the Cooper Rush stuff. I don't – I didn't have any de- – Steve, I don't even know why you brought this up. I have no de- – just – this is <laughs> – no, dude. No. I agree. No. Now, I, I, I agree 100%. Say, what I will say is the – the I think the Rams game really showed people like, all right, the defense helped it, but dude threw for 100 yards, right? Yeah, 16 attempts, I think. In an ideal world, they do just enough to keep the team afloat to where Dak can sit out through the bye week, get that hand – because we saw what happened when Russell Wilson, when he came back too early from the same injury, he was awful, right? I want Dak to be fully healthy when they throw him back out there. So hopefully they can continue to win without him. But the moment he's ready to go, you start Dak Prescott. You start him in the NFL. Yes. You start him in fantasy. There is no quarterback controversy. I can assure I just don't, you of that. I just don't know how it's how that is the conversation. And it's not, holy cow, think of the offense they had with Dak like not too long ago and marry that with the defense currently instead people decide to do what we all what we all expect them to do and that's just go the worst route and now they've they've turned it into we'll we'll look at cooper look at the record qb yeah. wins man qb, QB wins. wins five and oh yeah. yeah give me a break yeah okay all right so <laughs> we're gonna bid ray a farewell ray has a show called wake up yeah it's phenomenal. Please listen to it. It's really Thank good. You can also find them Destination Devi, the Draft it? Network. Ray, where else? Uh, what's Ray your Twitter G- handle? RayGQ. RayGQ. Ray Boom. G-Q. Appreciate y'all having me on. Thanks again, man. Yeah, Appreciate you. Good show, man. Y'all take care. Oh, man. Ray is such a good dude. I'm so honored the dude came on the show, man. He is like... You know, there's a lot of guys in the fantasy space who they're really good at analytics and numbers, and there's just not many who understand the game and film at the level Ray does. So he's such a valuable dude to to our community, and yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I think, yeah, like you said, there is so much value in being able to bring film to the fantasy space because, like, you can play the numbers game as much as you want, but at the end of the day, at the end of the day, it still has to be put onto the field and that's where like being able to go in and watch the film helps. Cause you can kind of refute some of the, like a lot of the times it's, I feel like it's refuting the upside of some guys with film where it's like, okay, yeah, sure. Like you can put all the numbers there, but the guy just doesn't have it. And that's yeah. where, that's where Ray can identify those and then even find those that are, it's like, no, they're stuck in a bad system. Like get them somewhere else and they can make things happen. For sure, um, yeah, I'm excited to, to talk draft with him too when the seat, when that time comes because he oh, he is such a good unique perspective on how how these top college prospects will translate to the fantasy football game, and I know a lot of the listeners will be very curious to hear that. So, for real though, guys, if you haven't ever watched Ray's show, wake up! It is you know one of the best stream shows out there. Um, follow him on Twitter, and you will find the link whenever it's available so um yeah steve i wanted to transition though i know we just wrapped with 
Ray about Dak versus Rush, and that's kind of a joke. You know, we yes, we know Dak is the guy. Yeah, complete joke. We know Dak's the guy, but Rush falls into this category, and it's going to be a new segment we're doing. So for you listeners out there, we're going to be doing a segment where it's like, who is securing the bag? Who's making the money that you wouldn't expect to have made the money? I want submissions from the listeners. So if you find me or Steve on Twitter, please send us guys that you think have performed at a really high level and are going to secure the bag. We're looking at guys that are probably a little more unheralded or on the last year of their deal. Maybe they were disappointing up until this point, but now that they're playing well, they're going to get the bag. Cooper Rush is a guy who falls in that category. Now, we know he's not the starter. We've established that. But I said it a bunch of times in this podcast. He is a dude who has established himself as a legit backup in the NFL, and he's going to get paid like one. He's on a, a, what, a vet minimum deal this year. Yeah. He didn't even make their 53-man, actually, right. technically. He didn't make the initial 53. So this is a guy who's, you know, I'm, I'm guessing he'll get a multi-year deal with some guaranteed money. So good for him. He has secured the bag. He's Steve. Looking at, he's looking at the Chase Daniel lifestyle coming up here. Yeah, that's the that's the lifestyle that's right there. Life. That's a good life. Like think about it, you could still drink beer in season and be fine, you know? Like Yeah, as long as you either bring competent backup or you can watch film well. Yeah. You can stay you can stick around forever. Right, and Rush probably has more physical tools than Daniel does. Yeah. My my seven year old can throw a football farther than Chase Daniel, especially at this point in his career. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but Steve, what secure the bag, guys? Who who has secured the bag in your eyes? Is there any other guys this year who have? You know who like through five games is Daniel Jones. Ooh, I wasn't ready for that. Yeah, earth shattering. Yeah. I mean, like through five games, like he was a guy who coming into this year. It was like completely, basically, completely dead in the water, wouldn't you say? Like, oh it yeah, was, like it was a foregone conclusion. Like New York's moving on from him. I still think they do, but I think that like he took himself from like not like his futures beyond New York were not great. Like the prospects didn't look great, but now I mean, he's a he looks like he looks like he could be a good transition quarterback. You know, like. Someone, a bridge. yeah, like, yeah, someone, someone like the Jared Goff, maybe, and who's mm. maybe not as high level, but like I think he's made some money in the sense that he's proven to, he can be either, you know, a bridge quarterback or someone that like even like you know a Cooper Rush like bring in a high value athletic backup quarterback, and so like I think in the, and that could completely change. There's still a lot of season left, but right now I think that. Daniel Jones honestly has made himself a little bit of money that may not that wasn't on the table coming into the year. That's a good take. I mean, I I would have bet my house, Steve, that Baker Mayfield would be a better NFL QB than Daniel Jones. At and the, thank God I didn't because yeah. I'd be out of a house. <laughs> oh man, I yeah, I absolutely like I was with especially like with Baker Mayfield, I for sure was under like was on the side of he was hurt last year. You saw it a little bit the year before, but and and like on the flip side, thought Daniel Jones was like Daniel Jones is who he is. There's nothing there. Like he's a turnover machine. Move on from him. But now, now honestly, like the narratives have flipped for the two guys. Yeah, Baker, Baker Mayfield. I wouldn't want him 
hang out of the ball in any in any situation. And at least Daniel Jones, I I can trust him to run an offense. Oh, one hundred percent. What um, we already talked about this guy on Wednesday show, so we're not going to go into super big detail. But what about Geno Smith? He secured the bag, right? Oh yeah, he'll get he'll get some money. I don't know how much, but I'm I mean, guessing he, he gets what, ten million a year. I mean, at least I honestly, it's at the point where if he keeps playing near this level. I mean, Seattle has to have a real conversation of, you know, do you sign him and keep rolling with him or like let him test free agency and then see what offers are out there? Because I think there's, you could like, he's a guy that looks like you can kind of build around right now. Yeah, for sure. I got one more. You ready? Yep. Wide receiver from New England. Yeah, I was he was he was one of the ones I was looking at. Jacoby Myers. Yes. Yes. If he hasn't secured the bag by now, I don't know what it's gonna take. Yeah. But I mean, he signed if he can go play ahead, Detroit. Sorry. If he can play Detroit every week, he's gonna be in for a lot it's, of money. But <laughs> bro, it's but you know what? It's his last freaking like eight starts. He's been yeah. outrageously good. It's like when healthy, he he has been so good. Like totally slept on. He like like you said in his last like few starts, he's been a, a target hog. He's made catches. He's like it's been good, and I feel yep. like he's not. It's not talked about enough. For sure. I mean, a guy who plays mostly in the slot, but he can play in the outside too. He doesn't have a ton of juice. He's not a guy that's going to win a ton of vertical routes, but he's a super savvy player. He's a He's an easy zone beater. He'll beat, you know, one-on-one matchups in the slot. He's got really sure hands. He doesn't drop the football. I think he's got like, shoot, how many? He had 83 catches last year, dropped three passes. I mean, yeah. dude is is as sure as it gets. He's probably in line for close to 1,000 yards again this season. This will be his third in a row where he's over 700. Yep. He was an undrafted guy coming out of NC State. Um, you know, played played on that rookie. I think he signed like a three year deal. Played that out, and then signed a one year, three million dollar deal to come back to New England this year. Yeah, and he's he's been their number one receiver now for three years. Right. So like he does he deserves to get paid. Um, I don't know how much. I don't know how valuable that skill set is. I'm not going to commit a ton of cash to him. But listen, if Juju Smith Schuster's pulling whatever he's pulling, he's worth at least that. And that's where, like, think about him in a situation where he's a number two. Yeah, like he's, exactly. he's operating. He's operating as like a number one right now, basically. So he's getting, you know, most or, of or even or even a three, Steve. Right. Like there's because then then you can just play him primarily in the slot. You don't even have to think about moving him outside, really. Yeah, yeah. I I would love to see what he's capable of. I mean, shoot, hot take right now. If the Chiefs pursued Myers instead of. Juju Smith-Schuster, they would be way further along this team with that gets, offensive development. That team gets like 10% better. 10-15% yeah. better. Yeah, that would yeah, be a huge win. Myers is so much quicker and so much better in space than Juju, uh, than Juju Smith is. Yep. Yep, so I think, I think he is definitely a secure-the-bag candidate. I'll be in- interested to follow that and see how the NFL views him when he hits the market again. Yeah. Um, 
I know New England's pretty big on retaining their guys, but I don't know that they're going to have the the ammo to, to sign him. But we'll see. Um, all right, dude, we're going to keep today's episode pretty short and sweet. There's two games of note this week that I really want to spend time talking about. Uh, yeah, they're the two biggest games of the season so far. Yeah, and honestly, we're back to kind of a crappy schedule again. Like, there's not a lot of intriguing games this week. Now, yeah. I will say uh, it helps that these two games, like one is the game of the week, Buffalo-Kansas City. They're, they'll be the the prime time, or not the prime time, but it'll be the, the most watched 4 p.m. game. Yep. Um, I'm sure they have the top crew on that game as well. And then Dallas-Philly is the Sunday night game. Those two games are bangers. Um, so it helps that we'll get a lot of eyes on those games. People will come away feeling good about the week. I know that's your theory. It's like whatever games people see, that's you, what they remember. That's what's yeah. going to happen for sure. Yeah, but no, but nobody's watching San Francisco, Atlanta. Nobody's watching New England, Cleveland, Jets, Packers. Like these are just yeah. I mean the <sighs> the, the, the ones with intrigue are like the Jets, Packers, Baltimore, New York. Other than that, everything else is pretty garbage. And by intrigue, you mean like. It's it's moderately better than watching paint dry, right? Intriguing yeah. that like you can you're gonna like you can learn some things about these teams that are that are valuable yeah. moving forward, <laughs> for sure. All right, so let's let's jump into to Dallas Philly because like this game has a ton of implications, right? Like Philly's five and zero, Dallas four and one. Dallas is balling out without their starting QB, as we've talked about. We've done a pretty good job of chronicling Philly's season so far yes (laughs) (laughs) Um, but this game man this this has division implications it also it's going to be a good indicator to see where Jalen Hurts is in his development right so what what has to have what has to go right for the Eagles in this game for them to win what has to go right is that this is a this is a trenches battle like for sure I mean Dallas's secondary is good obviously but uh, part of the reason why they're so good is that they're also very good at getting pressure. Like those two go hand, those two things go hand in hand. We all know that, but it's, if they're able to keep Hertz clean in the pocket and give him time to throw and keep Micah Parsons, uh, Lawrence, those guys off of him, then at that point, it, it, like I trust that Jalen Hurts can win the overall battle between with his receivers versus their secondary. I think that there's a there's enough ta- there's enough talent on Dallas's offense that they can beat Dallas's. Sorry, there's enough talent in Philly's offense that they can beat Dallas's secondary in one on one matchups. Mm. But I truly think like I truly think that this is like a totally a trenches game. Philly wants to run the ball as well, and if they can control the line of scrimmage and keep Hurts clean, keep their offense to be you know have good balance and run the ball and pass the ball. That's where they succeed. Well, like that's where, that's where they'll win the game is by keeping Hertz clean this week. Cause that's how, that's how Dallas has been beating people. Yeah. When I think of what the Eagles need to do, balance is, is the optimal word, but it's not run versus pass to me. It's conflict. I need the Eagles to be proficient enough running the ball, play action, RPO game, that it puts the Dallas defense in conflict. I need to find ways to slow down Micah Parsons and Demarcus Lawrence and 
Dante Fowler in the squad. I need to find ways to do that. I want the Eagles to roll up with the same game plan they had versus the the Lions. Lately, we've seen the Eagles resort to too many screen passes. I want them to be able to get the ball downfield. I think Trayvon Diggs, he's a good corner. You can still take advantage of him, though. He's still susceptible to giving up big plays. I want them to come in, establish a good RPO game, put that defense in conflict, make that pass rush think about other things, make those linebackers slow, keep them stuck in the mud, get the ball in space to A.J. Brown, and then open up those deep shots with the heavy play action stuff. As long as you keep that defense in conflict, I think Hurts can move the ball. Yes. I um And the good thing for Hurts is that Dallas plays primarily zone. Mm-hmm. And Hurts thrives against the throw or the zone. That's where that's where he is his at his best. He's seventy seven percent completion percentage against zone, nine point seven yards per attempt, almost a thousand yards. Like that's where he thrives is picking apart zone, and that's what Dallas plays primarily. And they're going to play a lot of too high, a lot of a lot of uh, cover two over the top. So that actually works out for Philly in that they have a lot of guys that they can get into space and they don't have to rely on a ton of a ton of deep shots to move the ball. They can, they have guys that are able to, you know, get yards after the catch and operate in that type of off in, in an offense that can beat cover two. And so I think that, I think that that's the biggest thing. Like I said, I, I really think it comes out to keeping Jalen hurts clean because if, if Dallas is going to sit back in zone for 60% of the game, Jalen Hurts is going to, if he has time, he's going to be able to pick it apart. Like they have the receiver yeah. to, they have the receivers to win against zone. Like that's where, that's where AJ Brown thrives. Yeah. Honestly, they have the receivers to win against any coverage. It's just right. more, you know, their play design and like Hurts has been near flawless against zone. Um, yeah. no, I, I, great. Yeah. So managing that pass rush is the biggest thing for me. Also, when when things go wrong, I want to see how Hertz reacts because that's the mark of a, a great quarterback, right? So we, I think we know Hertz is a pretty good quarterback. I want to see if he's a great quarterback, and I need to see when things go wrong and he is under pressure. How does he react? You know, when when he does have Micah Parsons in his face, is he able to use his legs to escape and, and deliver a pass downfield, or is he going to run for first downs? Or I, I want to see him throw in rhythm and throw with timing. Um. Those types of things are really important for me to evaluate his development because we haven't really seen him have to do that stuff yet. He hasn't had to be Patrick Mahomes. He hasn't had to be Josh Allen. It's Everything's worked well enough where it's just, you know, it, they just kind of play their game and boom, that's it. They win. So right. and that's I don't – sorry. I was going to say, and that's where, like, obviously this is important against every team, but Dallas more so than anyone, Dallas is – amazing at taking taking advantage of getting turnovers in those pressure situations like they're able to they're able to turn pressure of a quarterback into a turnover one way or the other that's what they're one of the that's what they're best at and that's where Jalen Hurts it's going to be incredibly important for him this week to when he does get off schedule is just taking care of the ball like not trying yep. to not trying to challenge you know, Trayvon Diggs in a lot of like breakdown situations. Cause that's where, like I said, that's where Dallas is like thriving as a defense. And so just making the smart decision, not trying to get 
everything back all at once or get everything all at once. Like just taking what you taking, what you're given, not trying to force the issue and, you know, give them easy opportunities to get turnovers. Like that's the biggest thing is just, if you can retain the, if you could retain the ball, if you can work the ball down the field against them and avoid, you know, getting into situations where you're now off task or turning the ball over. Like that's, that's where Philly will win the game. Yep. I agree. I also, I think matchup wise, Philly's defense is better suited to handle Dallas's offense than Dallas's defense is suited to handle Philly's offense. So I think they probably have a double advantage here. If I had to guess based on just based on like um, where things match up, I think that Cooper Rush might throw the ball less than 25 times this week. I would agree with that. It might even be under 20 because I, Philly's giving up almost five yards of carry on the ground. The, like against the run, they were for the longest time they were one of the most one of the staunchest defenses against the run. But this year, it's kind of fallen to the wayside a little bit. They have guys on the inside that are better against the pass, and you know they give up ground in the run. But that's where it's kind of benefited them is that they're able to get out to leads, and so they're kind of able to neutralize the opponent's run game a little bit. But Dallas is going to look to run the ball. I think that they're going to look to run the ball and, you know, all the way from getting Zeke and Pollard going downhill to also just trying like different wide receiver runs. I think that they're going to kind of, they're going to try to run it down their throats and see if they can take advantage of that. That, yeah. that, that interior that isn't as strong as it has been in previous years. They're going to have to, right? Cause like, I don't think Cooper rush has played against, a combo of Slay, Bradbury, Chauncey Gardner, Johnson yet. Like those guys, like he already, like Rush has already struggled in zone pretty, pretty strongly. Like, yeah, his passer rating against zones only like 75, really low dot too. I mean, he's, they're just not moving the ball well, you know, from against zone looks and Slay, best zone corner in the league, Bradbury, Chauncey Gardner, like this is a really good unit. I expect Lamb to have a really tough day. I expect, um, Gallup to struggle, maybe Schultz slash Noah Brown, but still these are going to be shallow targets. I just I don't see it happening for Dallas in this game. I think the magic runs out here. Love the story so far, but I think the magic runs out here, and then they get Dak back, and uh, they're ready to rock week eight or week seven. Sorry, against the Lions. Yeah, I think this is going to be a very clear game of it's going to show how much they actually miss uh, Dak. I think it's really going to be apparent this game because I have a feeling that the, like, and it's happened already. It just gets, you know, covered up by the fact that their defense is playing so well. And they are like, you know, they're still scoring 20 plus points a game because they have the defense that they have. But I just think that you'll see drives stall out. You'll see Cooper rush need to make a throw and it'll be a throw that he, he can't make, but you'd look at and you'd, you'd think to yourself that Dak could make, and it'll be very clear that Cooper Rush did what he came in to do, but time is up. For sure. All right, so I agree. Are you taking da- uh, Philly to win then? I am taking Philly to win. I am too. I think Philly starts the season 6-0. and And then Dallas will get a nice bit of redemption, probably with Dak returning week seven against the Detroit Lions, who – you know, their defense is 
quite the mess. So yeah. All right, Kansas City Buffalo. This game has potentially or the potential to be top game of the of the season, regular season. So, I mean, they still have the last like the last best game played, I would say. Like if I like if I were saying what was the best game of last year, like their playoff game is definitively the best game of the year. Yep. I agree with that. It, it will be kind of funny because I think everyone's expecting what offensive fireworks, right? Yeah. But both these defenses have been okay. Uh, I know KC's struggled kind of the last two weeks with, uh, you know, random plays here and there. The Tampa Bay got them on a few plays last week. The Raiders kind of struggled the whole game passing the ball, except for the two plays that Devontae Adams. And one of them was a straight double team. They literally doubled Adams on a play, and he still beat him for like a 60-yard touchdown. That's yeah. that's crazy. I don't think – that's not something you can bank on, you know. I would be interested to see if they if they give um, Stephon Diggs the same treatment, uh, if they, you know, call some more doubles. I know the, the players next to Diggs are better, you know, than what uh, Adams probably had. I know Renfro's a good oh, player, but yeah. – uh, Davis is an explosive guy who, if you're going to double digs, that means he's going to probably be one-on-one down the field. Um, Khalil Shakir's looked very good. So I feel like the the counter pieces in Buffalo are probably better suited to take advantage of Kansas City than the Raiders were. Yeah. Yeah, Kansas City's defense the last three weeks, the quarter, it's they've given up 71% completion percentage, 7.1 yards per attempt, 110 rate uh qb rating seven touchdowns no interceptions like only a 20 only a 24.8 percent pressure rate like it's been it's been a little bit dicey the last three weeks over there in kansas city on the defensive side Mm -hmm. and i don't know it'll be it'll be interesting to see it'll be interesting to see how their defense attacks buffalo because i know spagnola loves to scheme up pressure like that's one of the things that he's probably best at as a defensive coordinator is, is his ability to scheme up different pressures. I think that Kansas city's um, Kansas city's cornerbacks blitz at the highest rate in the NFL. Yeah. Like that's just what he's known for, but Josh Allen also excels against the blitz. And so it'll be interesting to see how Spagnuolo plays, how they play against Josh Allen, because I think that, I have a feeling that they're going to try and keep Allen in the pocket as much as they can and try to prevent him from beating them, beating them with his legs. But I just, I don't know. It's, it's going to be tough. Cause it like, like I said, I think that in, like you said, I think that Buffalo's weapons are just better. Yeah, I do too. I, I think it's going to be like as good as Buffalo can play zone and it's hot. It doesn't matter like how hot Mahomes has been. I think that zone defense is so good. It's it's going to frustrate Mahomes. He doesn't have Tyreek this year. Kelsey's going to have to be big in this game. And Kelsey has put Buffalo linebackers in an absolute blender over yeah. the years, especially yeah. last year in that in that playoff game. Um, I mean, Edmonds got absolutely worked by Kelsey yeah. in that game. So it, it's going to be a, a heavy dose of Kelsey for them to win. But it's, it's going to be another one of those games where Buffalo is going to be patient on defense. 
They're going to play their they're too high. They're going to play their scheme. If Kansas City can't run the ball and force another defender in the box, could be a really really long day for the Chiefs. I'm not saying they won't score points. I think they will, but you're going to have to you're going to see 13 play drives, 14 play drives. Yeah. I don't think the explosive plays are going to be there. So Yeah, and that's where I like if like if I take both teams at their best, Buffalo's defense is at a much higher level than Kansas City's defense, and that's where like as I look at it, I can see it. I can see a situation where Buffalo could force four or five punts on Kansas City. I don't see that with Kansas City's defense on Buffalo. Like I don't like it's hard for me to see them getting four or five like stops on third down and stopping drives, forcing them to punt. Yeah, they're just so deep, and I like honestly. I came away from last week's game, and I think that they should. I mean, I think they should have Khalil Shakir in. Like, I, I think he should be starting. I thought he looked. I thought he looked good, and I think he. I thought he adds. He can add similar to what Isaiah McKenzie can add, but even more in the receiving game. Yeah. I agree. The only thing that could really slow the Bills down is if Allen has one of those games where he just kind of falls apart a little bit, which we've seen. I mean, and that's, I guess, and that's where when it, when it, when you think about it, like Kansas City, that's where their defensive deficiencies are made up for by Spagnolo's ability to scheme, because I think he's going to those safeties are going to be all over the place, like Thor, yes. Thornhill, Thornhill and Justin Reed are going to be – they're going to move around a ton pre-snap and post-snap. Like I have a feeling that like they're going to play – they're going to play games with uh, Josh Allen and they're going to force him to really think through his reads and like be able to see what the coverage is because I know that Spagnuolo is going to roll that coverage a lot. He's going to move it around. He's going to move the safeties into the box, out of the box. I mean it's going to be – it, it'll be kind of like an it'll be a little bit of an intellectual matchup on that side of things where I I can trust Spagnolo to scheme a good defense to at least give his defense a chance but then at that point it comes down to the players and they're like like we said their secondary has been struggling a little bit and they need to, they need to come off of that off of that um, dip they are getting Trent McDuffie back this week right so which yeah which would be a huge help. Yeah, it would be a huge help. Um, yeah, I don't, who are you taking in this game then? I'm taking Buffalo. Yeah, I think I am too. I can't because I don't want to rely on Allen having a a bad game for the Chiefs to be able to win this, but I do think. I, all I know is that. Kansas City needs to like use like okay if I understand you have you can't just completely be like one dimensional when you have a certain running back in, but man, both of their other running backs are better at running the ball than than Ceh. Ceh is great in the passing game and he makes plays there, but man, do I think that Pacheco and um, McKinnon have higher upside as runners than Ceh? I think. I think McKinnon's a better receiver than CH too. So I don't, I don't understand the value they see in, in CH other than they picked him in the first round. To be honest, they're, just the way they, like their running back usage in general is confusing to me all around because it like 
they it seems like they start to build a trend, or at least it starts to feel like they have they like are using their running backs in a certain way, and then you know they get into a situation like uh, um, against the Raiders where it's a short down situation, and McKinnon, who's been averaging like six yards a carry, like they take him out, put Ceh in, who I think was at that point averaging like. 1.8 yards per carry and then they have him go for the short yardage run I don't know it's just like it's confusing the way they use their running backs because I feel like we're starting to see where each of their strengths are but they like don't fully commit to those strengths yet yeah I I do agree with that I one other thing of note here with the Chiefs offense is mm-hmm. they may have figured out something with Mahomes and Valdez Scantling there's and- action there yeah, they've they've kind of changed what they're doing with Valdez Scantling. They've they're playing him in the slot a lot more now. Yeah, um, and he's I think he, the last two weeks he's got eight slot targets, which is the same as Juju, who's their primary slot guy. So that that's pretty cool. And his his yards per route run is like three six from the slot yeah. over that stretch, where Juju's like one point four or one point five or something like that. Yeah. So they may have figured out something there if they have. That could be huge for them. They need one of those guys to step up and be a dude. Yeah, one of them. Whether it's Hardman, whether it's Sky Moore, Valdez, Scantling, Juju, it doesn't matter. They need one of those guys to step up and be a dude. And based on what I saw on tape, too, Valdez Scantling looked great. I know his hands are you don't always trust him, you know. But I'll t- if you're as long as you're open a lot, I don't care how many passes you drop. I'll keep throwing you the ball. That's true. Look at Cooper Cup led the NFL in drops last year. He had a his- historic season. Deontay Johnson's one of the best receivers in the league, and he he drops millions of passes. I was going to say, not, dry, yeah, drops, drops are a little overstated. A little overstated. Times. No, if you're, if you're a guy who doesn't get open that often, and then when you do get thrown the ball, you drop it, then yes. that's a problem. But, yeah. but if you can get Sc- open all the time. Yeah, I mean, Scaling looked great. He's got the juice, too. They need a guy with some juice. So Yeah. Uh, this, like For Kansas City to win this game, it's going to have to be Mahomes playing – a very Mahomes game. Like he needs to be flawless. And I think that they'll move Travis. I think they'll try and move Travis Kelsey around a little bit, see what different matchups they can get. But it just, the outside receivers for Kansas city, just, it doesn't feel like you said, it doesn't feel like they have enough juice right now, but you know, if they can, if they can work Kelsey MVS and, you know, maybe in like, work the running backs into the passing game they can get the ball down the field but I just feel like it's going to be it's just going to be difficult to it's going to be difficult and it's not going to come in big play opportunities to move the ball against Buffalo and I just don't know if Kansas City can hang in there for that long doing that taxing of work on offense I agree I'm I'm taking Buffalo in this game but I I think it should be a good game so I yeah I like no matter what Mahomes I feel like Mahomes is always going to keep his team within a touchdown like that's yeah. just how it is like you just can't refute you just can't refute it at this point. Yep. All right. Well, that's the that's the season preview. I I wanted to make a note here though. Or did I say season? <laughs> what, what is wrong with me? My brain is mush. We're like, <laughs> thank God we're to the bye weeks. because like, bye weeks are here. <laughs> oh, my it. gosh. It feels so it. good. I'm about to just go lay in my, my backyard and hit, let the sun hit my face because I'm so happy. Um, touch grass. Yeah, go touch some grass. <laughs> so one thing I wanted to note, though, after the game last night, 
I was just looking at Carson Wentz's game log. You know, real real basic stat as guy a, here. As one um, does. As one does. And I noticed he is currently on pace for less than 4,000 yards. Ah, through six games. That flipped. That flipped. It flipped. Because coming into the game, before yesterday's game, he was on pace for 46 or 47. Oh, so it would have been close. I, I literally thought about that yesterday before the game, and I did the, I did the math real quick. And yeah. yeah so yesterday so tanked him a little This is a good reminder, though, Steve. Sometimes in life, you're, you feel real confident about something, but you have to go through some George Costanza. <laughs> Like, and I feel, I felt like George Costanza a little bit. Like, just think about the pilot episode of Seinfeld, right? So, I don't know. Yeah. Are you a Seinfeld guy? Yeah. Yeah, okay. The pilot episode of Seinfeld. The story is Jerry and George are talking in their, their you know, restaurant they always eat at. Mm-hmm. And George, or Jerry's telling George about this woman he met in Michigan on a, a show. And... She randomly called Jerry and said, hey, I, I might be coming to the city. Maybe, maybe I'll call you. We can hang out. And George immediately flags this like, dude, you, she's not calling you to hang out. Like, there's no potential there that this is, this is a girl that wants to date you or anything like that. He shoots it down right away. Like, he right. sees right through it. Like, there's, she said, maybe. Like, Jerry, if she was interested, she would have said, let's get together. But no, you're a backup plan. But then... <laughs> So George makes this hard stamp, kind of like I did with Carson Wentz. Like there's zero percent right. chance he gets over forty eight hundred yards a season. So George plants his flag, but then things start to happen, and it looks like for a minute George is very wrong. Right. She ends up calling Jerry. Jerry, I want to hang out. And then actually, not only do I want to hang out, I was hoping I could stay at your place. So everything's leading up to like, oh crap, George is wrong. This like Jerry's going to make a move. This is going to be his his lady. And sure enough, finally, the story wind, you know plays out where she comes over to Jerry's house. She's sitting on his couch drinking wine with him. And then she starts telling him about her fiance. Yep. <laughs> and George has a, I knew it moment. Yes. You know, like I knew it. I knew it. So that's kind of where this is at, right? So it looked like Carson Wentz was going to, you know, Easily truck his way to 4,800 yards this year. Yes. And now, you know, not so much. You know, he plays a modicum of a good defense and the guy falls apart. He had 99 passing yards last night, Steve. He had five completions through the first half. <laughs> right. I played the over on the Terry McLaurin 3.5 receptions prop. That should have been easy money. Should have. How do you have a receiver of Terry McLaurin's caliber and not make sure he gets the ball more than three times? By the way, talk about bad beats too. More George Costanza, you know. Ah, oh, dude. So I played. I played the over on McLaurin. He gets three receptions. He has three receptions going into the fourth and doesn't catch another pass. I needed one. David Montgomery. I played the under on his rushing yards total. He hit his total on the last carry of the game for him. Bad beats, man. Uh, I did hit the Jonathan Allen. Sack prop, which you know more than paid for those two other misses because right. it was a, was a you lock. know, but be- better odds. That is so. one thing that I noticed with both with both teams. Honestly, they both and we can get out. We can get out after this, but both teams' defenses knew 
how bad the opposing offensive line was that the minute there was a third down or a passing situation, I would, I'd have to go back and count it out to be exact, but I think both teams stunted on almost 50% of dropbacks. Like they stunted their defensive line because they knew that the offensive line couldn't keep up with either of them. Like they were, it was, it was embarrassing. Like how much both defensive lines were torching the other offensive line. Yes. And like, yeah, like that was, that's, just, why, that's why I played the prop. Like I right. knew, oh, I knew the like, bears couldn't protect the interior of Payne and Allen. So yeah. And that, yeah, it just, they were picking apart the offensive lines and then two quarterbacks that do not handle pressure. Well, it led to a disaster of a game and Thursday night football continues to roll on being the comedy. It is. Yep. All right, guys. Well, that's going to do it for our week six preview slash guest podcast this Friday. I am your host, Brett Whitefield. This is my co-host, Stephen O'Rourke, and we are out. Thanks for tuning in to this edition of the Fantasy Points Podcast. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite platform. And come join the roster at FantasyPoints.com.